We're looking at the book of Galatians, and I'm going to read with you um, from chapter, in chapter 1, part of chapter 1, and into chapter 2. And uh, I'm going to try and draw out some of the spiritual um, lessons here. I've called this message tonight, The Power of a Changed Life. The Power of a Changed Life. So I'm going to read chapter 1 of Galatians. Can you find it on your mobile phone? Switch on the Bible. Chapter 1, verse 11. This is Paul speaking. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. How intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth, called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man. Nor did I go to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none other of the apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing is no lie. Later, I went into Syria and Cilicia and was personally unknown to the churches in Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith which once he tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Then, 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, I took Titus along with me and we went in response to a revelation. I set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus who was with me was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brethren had infiltrated our ranks to spy on our freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. 
For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Amen. <laughs> the power of a changed life. As, as we were talking the other week, Paul had visited these churches in Galatia. Uh, different, different towns, Perga, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby. And he had established thriving churches that were birthed in, in the supernatural. <laughs> um, they used to say, the old Pentecostals used to say, when you've been born in the fire, you can't live in the smoke. And these people, they were born in the miraculous. The message that he preached was miraculous. And some of the, the, the miracles that happened. Fancy being there in Lystra and seeing this crippled man, being crippled all his life, never walked. And Paul looked at him and he said, I've seen faith. He's got faith to believe as this guy. And he said, rise, stand on your feet. And this cripple jumped up, <laughs> stood on his feet. Well, the people were amazed. They, they, they said, oh, the gods have come down from, from above, you know. So these churches were birthed. They were birthed in the supernatural and power. And the message was so powerful. He was, was telling them that Gentiles, all you have to do is put your faith in Christ Jesus alone. He never mentioned circumcision. He never mentioned Jewish feasts. He, he never said you've got to keep certain special days. You've got to keep certain things. He didn't talk about anything like that. He just said that you have to believe, to believe and trust Christ to forgive all your sins and to give you eternal life. You've just got to trust in what Jesus has done and you will be saved. And this group of people were absolutely happy, uh, fulfilled Christian people having wonderful fellowship and, and, and growing. <clears throat> they were saved, he told them, they were saved by grace alone through faith alone. The old hymn goes, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Now I know this passage that we read together, students of the Bible, they like to try and fit everything in because there is recorded in the book of Acts, Paul's travels. So where do Paul's travels fit in with the Galatian uh, writings of where Paul was at certain times. In the end, it doesn't really matter. When he was let down the wall of Damascus in a basket to escape those who wanted to kill him and all this. <clears throat> but um, some people like to spend hours on that kind of thing. I want to ask you a question. What makes you angry? <clears throat> I looked up Google for, for this message. 
certain things make people angry. Being treated unfairly and feeling powerless to do anything about it gets some people angry. Feeling threatened or attacked is another one. Other people not responding to your authority, your feelings, not respecting, I'm so sorry, other people not respecting your authority, feelings, or property. Being interrupted when you are trying to achieve a goal. Stressful day-to-day -day things such as paying bills or rush hour traffic. That's got a few of us, hasn't it? <clears throat> For me, what gets me angry is Christians trying to block the progress of God. <laughs> it really irritates me. Um, when we were in our other church, we were in a small building. We were, it would seat about 120 people. And we were packed out. People in the foyer and all. One couple came one night. They couldn't get a seat, so they went home. Anyway, it became, it became logical and to me that we needed bigger places and we could get this bigger building. And uh, my, my thinking was, uh, it, it, it all became possible, I'm not going to all the details now, but it became possible that we could have this other building that belonged to a, another group of Christians. They were going to give us the building, give us all the money they had in the bank, just come and take over, they said. Um, the idea was that we were going to sell our small building to get a, a, a lot of money to refurbish the larger building that was a kind of plain building. Well, all was going swimmingly well till a couple of my deacons, as it were, turned against me and, and they they didn't want to go. They didn't want to go to the bigger building. One lady said to me, she said, I was, I was saved in this building, she said. I was baptized here, and I want to be buried here. How's that for spiritual ambition? <laughs> <clears throat> and they'd had a prophecy years before. A visiting preacher had come along, and he had said, in this place will I bless you. So they thought that God could only bless them in that building. When we were packed out, I would say, God had blessed us. People were getting saved and all. <clears throat> so <clears throat> I thought, well, they're not, having, they're not having this building and the money. We need the money to, to refer. But my father came down and was preaching. And this is where I, I must says, confess your faults one to another, don't you? There's a big confession coming in. <clears throat> and any moment now. He came along, and he was, in his message, he was very good on the Old Testament, my dad, um, and he told the story of King Azariah. And King Azariah, Amaziah, can't read my own writing, King Amaziah had hired soldiers from the northern kingdom of Israel for a hundred shekels of silver because he wanted to go and conquer the Edomites.
But a prophet came to the king and said, Your Majesty, don't hire the soldiers from Israel because they are in rebellion against God. They are worshipping that idol up there. God is not with them. God is with you. And Amaziah said, typical Jewish, but what about the hundred shekels of silver? My life. And this is what hit me. The prophet said to the king, God can give you much more than this. And it was a stab in my heart. I thought, we don't need the money from that little building. God can give us, but I didn't. I rebelled against it. I thought, no, I was angry. They're not going to get it. But eventually, they, were, they brought the charity commissioners in and they were able to stay down there in the little building and we moved up to, to the larger building and, and God bless. But, but people who oppose, the, oppose what God wants to do, when God wants to do something great, hallelujah. I remember when we took the pews out of here donkeys years ago. Colin Urquhart came and he said, you need to get rid of these. And I, I thought, you're absolutely right. So we, we pressed ahead, but we had opposition. One of our, my, my leaders left. Some other people said, we're not giving any money to this. But you've just got to press ahead sometimes. People who oppose the work of God. Now, Paul had left these thriving churches, <clears throat> happy, joyful Christians that were just rejoicing in the fact that Christ had forgiven all their sins and that they had trusted in his finished work upon the cross and they were happy, joyful Christians. And then these Judaizing teachers came in and said, oh, not so fast, not so fast. You can't just say things like that. First of all, you've got to be circumcised. The men have got to be circumcised. And secondly, you've got to keep the Jewish feasts and the Jewish Sabbaths and the Jewish holy days. You've got a whole list of rules. And this got the apostle Paul mad <laughs> because someone had come in and was polluting their mind. And the apostle Paul, he called this gospel, he said, it is a different gospel. You're listening to a different message now. He called it a perverted gospel. In fact, he called it no gospel at all. And he said they were under a curse if they accepted this. You see, salvation is not grace and things we can do ourselves. It is grace alone. It's a free gift from God. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, that we are saved. There is nothing that we can do to help that. <clears throat> now, my wife said to me, after I'd mentioned this last time, does that mean we can do anything we want or certain things? Or similar, similar. I abbreviate things. Well, the thing is, if you think that, I've done a good job. Because in the book of Romans, Paul was preaching grace and it threw up the question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? We're saved by grace, we can do as we like. Well, 
later on in the book, we'll, we'll look at the other side of it. So Paul is telling them that they're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and that these Judaizers have come in to pervert the gospel. And then he begins to tell his testimony, his story. <clears throat> I heard Jonathan Miller, who was a theater and opera director, he's, he's died now, and he was talking about opera. And he said, opera is just like life, only it's exaggerated. So if, if, if there's somebody that's happy, they are super happy. So if you've ever heard the drinking song from La Traviata, you know, they are super happy. But if they're sad, they're terribly sad. <laughs> and in La Traviata, the, the heroine, Viol uh, Violetta, she's not only sick in the end, but she dies in the end. <laughs> So there's nothing in between. Well, the apostle's testimony was a little bit like opera. It was from one extreme to the other. Now, you and I, or so I, if I speak of myself, <clears throat> my life is not like opera. There was not such a great big change in my life when I got converted. <clears throat> I'd been brought up in the church, and, uh, and there wasn't... We used to get people coming round to our church in Lancashire <clears throat> with fantastic testimonies. I remember a guy called Andy Barrett. He would come and give his testimony. He had on, on <clears throat> one knuckle on each hand, he had love, and on the other, he had hate. <laughs> and he'd been in prison, and he carried a bike chain, and he'd, you know, and here's me. I hadn't even mugged one old lady, never mind anything else. <clears throat> and and He'd been in jail, he'd done everything wrong, and then he got wonderfully saved. I said, I wish I, wish I had robbed a few banks before I <clears throat> got saved. <clears throat> but, but my testimony is not so dramatic, I don't think. But the Apostle Paul's life was so changed. <clears throat> Let me read to you a little bit and I'm reading it in the message version. I'm not over keen on the message version, but I like this little bit. <clears throat> it's when Stephen was stoned to death. Uh, <clears throat> it says, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, hardly noticed when the people were running at him. He only had eyes for God whom he saw in all his glory, with Jesus standing at his side, he said, Oh, I see heaven wide open, and the Son of Man standing at God's side. Yelling and hissing, the mob drowned him out. Now in full stampede, they dragged him out of town and pelted him with rocks. The ringleaders took off their coats and asked a young man named Saul to watch them. As the rocks rained down, Stephen prayed, Master Jesus, take my life. Then he knelt down, praying aloud enough for everyone to hear, Master, don't blame them for this, for this sin. His last words, then he died. Saul was right there congratulating the killers. That set off a terrific persecution of the church in Jerusalem. The believers were all scattered throughout Judea, Samaria. 
All that is except the apostles. Good and brave men buried Stephen, giving him a solemn funeral. Not many dry eyes that day. And Saul just went wild, devastating the church, entering house after house after house, dragging men and women off to jail. He was a religious zealot, a mafia boss, an SS officer. He was a brilliant young rabbi, far and away more zealous than his contemporaries for the traditions of his ancestors and the traditions of the law. Now, the Torah, the law, was uh, given by God, but then they had added tradition to it. And I'll just read you the the oral Torah was composed largely of the Mishnah uh, and the Gemara. <laughs> I expect you to remember all this later. Which is a collection of commentaries and debates concerning the Mishra, which together form the Talmud. So there were additions, traditions that had gathered over the years. And Saul of Tarsus was so enthusiastic to keep these traditions going and to stamp out anybody and anything that got in his way. <clears throat> but then the apostle, as we read, he says, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, to reveal his son in me, there was a time when he got saved. And he seemed to be aware that even when he was a baby in the womb, that God had set, marked him out for salvation. Just as the prophet Jeremiah, you might remember, Jeremiah, uh, the Lord said to Jeremiah, before you were in the womb, I knew you. <laughs> and I ordained you to be a prophet, he said, before you were even born. And here it seems that God knew about this angry young man, Saul of Tarsus. And I asked myself, if God knew he was going to be like he was going to be, and if he knew he was going to save him, why didn't he save him a little earlier? Before Stephen was stoned to death, before people were thrown into jail. Well, I thought maybe God's time, maybe he waited to see how far he would go without Christ, how wicked and heartless he could become, and how much in debt to the grace he would go, to the grace of God he would go. But it was God's time, and it filled me with a sense of hope that there are people who maybe you or I may think they will never find Christ. They're enemies of, of the Lord. Well, just hang on a minute. God has a wonderful way of arresting people. So this angry young rabbi has got letters of authority in his possession 
to arrest the Christians in Damascus. He's got hatred in his heart and he's going up that Damascus road and he's getting near to the city of Damascus. The Christians in Damascus are anticipating his coming and no doubt they are fearful and trembling at what this angry young man is going to do to them as he had done to the Christians in Jerusalem. But God had other plans. And when he gets near to Damascus, the light above the brightness of the sun shone all around him. And he was thrown to the ground by the power of the light. And he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goats. <clears throat> now, God had been working in this angry young man's life. When he saw Stephen being stoned, when he, when he saw the, the, the other Christians being thrown in jail and saw how they, 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 they were pleasant under um, persecution and this kind of thing, something touched his heart, but he was rebelling against God. He, he, he was resisting. He, he was saying in his mind, no, I'm not accepting this. I'm not accepting this Jesus person. I'm not accepting this new doctrine they're all on about. But God had other plans, and he struck him down to the ground. And Saul said to him, who are you? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goats. And then he said, what do you want me to do? He said, well, you've got to go into Damascus, and it will be told you what you've got to do. And as we know the story, you may be familiar with the story, how God spoke to a fairly insignificant disciple called Ananias. And in a vision, he spoke to Ananias. He said, Ananias, I want you to go to the street called Straight Street. And I want you to find the house of Simon. And in there, you're going to find a man called Saul. And he's praying. And he is seen in a vision, somebody coming in and laying his hands on him. And uh, as if Ananias was telling God what God didn't actually know, he said, Lord, have you, I've heard about these things. These, this man, he's a terrible guy. And the Lord said to Ananias, don't worry, Ananias, he's a chosen vessel unto me. But I'm going to tell, I'm going to show him what things he's going to suffer for my name. Fancy calling people on the Alpha course, Julie. Now, you, you lovely people who've done the Alpha course, I just want to tell you, if you give your life to Christ, I'm just going to tell you what you're going to suffer. <laughs> Dear me. Well, so he, 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 he was told. But then he became a changed character. He said, what, what he said in our reading, he said, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb to reveal his son in me. And I want to say in conclusion, or nearly in conclusion, that what God said to Saul of Tarsus, he says to every one of us here tonight, that God wants to reveal his son in me. God wants to reveal his son in you. <laughs> that people don't see you, 
they see him in you. <laughs> now, <clears throat> uh, how does, uh, I don't know where I am here, um, how does God begin to reveal his son in us after we've given our lives to Christ? And there's a verse in the Proverbs, I knew it in the old version, so I'm going to read to you it in the new version, uh, a newer version. It says this, remove the dross from the silver and a silversmith can produce a vessel. So you have silver, but it, there's a lot of dross around it. So what the old silversmith used to do, he would put the silver in a pot and he would begin to heat, heat it up. And as the dross came to the surface, maybe with a leaf or something, he would scrape it off. And uh, he would heat it some more, and then he would scrape off some more dross. He would heat it seven times, and he would not be satisfied. He would not be satisfied until he could see the reflection of his own face in the silver. And the Lord wants to remove from our lives the rubbish the way we think sometimes, the way he wants to remove that so he can see the reflection of his son in my life and in your life. <clears throat> um, sometimes trials and testings come to make us strong. And uh, there's a verse in James that says, you know, when uh, trials, temptations come, J.B. Phillips translates that verse like this. When all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers, don't resist them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Realize that they come to test your faith and to produce in you the quality of endurance. There used to be a, a singer called, we call him Big John Hall. He was from America, and he used to sing a great song called Through It All. <clears throat> Through It All. <clears throat> um, when my trials come to only make me strong. And we sometimes think of the testing of our faith, and difficulties in your life come along. They are great opportunities to that grace can work in your life to make you and me a bit more like Jesus. So what are some of the things that, that God may want to remove? I think, um, I think he might want to remove impatience from some of us. Intolerance. <laughs> Judgmentalism. Get that out of your life. Cynicism. I think we could do without that. Impatience appropriate language, worldly ambition and selfishness. Get it out of your life that God can see the reflection of his son in, in you and me. So the, the silversmith, he would not be satisfied till he could see his own reflection. What a great testimony it is of the apostle where he says, <clears throat> the churches in Judea heard only that he who persecuted us in time past now preached the faith he once tried to destroy and they glorified God because of me. 
Amen. They glorified God because of me. There was such a change in his life, so different than before. So then he goes on and he says that he went up after 14 years to meet with Barnabas, uh, to, to meet with Peter. He took Barnabas with him and Titus. Uh, and he went up just to check with the senior apostles if what he had been preaching to all these Gentile people was the same that they were preaching also. What humility this great apostle had. He'd seen miracles of healings. He'd seen converts. He'd seen, I, would, I think we would call it great success in the ministry. But he said, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm just going to check if what I've been telling them is absolutely right. And he goes on to say <clears throat> that what they had to offer was no different than what I had been offering to the Gentiles. Our message was absolutely the same. And they gave Barnabas and him the right hand of fellowship to welcome them into the, the fellowship of, of the apostles. <clears throat> and they committed, the, he said, they saw the grace that was in me, the grace that God had given me to preach to the, to the Gentiles. It was the same grace that was in Peter to preach to the Jews. So they said, Peter will be the apostle to the Jews. Paul will be the apostle to the Gentiles. <clears throat> to recognize somebody else's ministry. Now, I was at the breakfast yesterday. Um, it wasn't just for the food. It was for the fellowship. If you believe that, you believe anything. Two rushes of bacon, I think it was your husband, two rushes of bacon, two sausages, two eggs. Dear me. And I thought, these guys, they do a really great job reaching men for Jesus. To recognize Somebody else's ministry. We're all a bit different. We all have different gifts and talents and what have you. To recognize somebody else's ministry and to support them. And so they recognize that Peter was the apostle to the, Gen uh, to the Jews and Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles. <clears throat> Amen. Well, I'm going to close there. God is looking for you and me to see his son in us. And, and, and I don't know about you, but there's, a, there's enough people like me, too many. But there's not enough people like Jesus. And I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but I want people to see Jesus in me. I want people to see Jesus in you. Salvation is free we, we receive it by faith. It's a gift from God. We can't earn it. We can't buy it. We certainly don't deserve it. But it comes free, in the, gratis, no strings attached, from the throne of God. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, and we can rejoice in that. But once we're saved, once we come into the family of God, God is wanting to reveal his Son in us, we call it the process of sanctification, to become like him, to become holy, to become like Jesus. Amen. Shall we stand together? <clears throat>
praise God. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Oh God, we just bless you. <clears throat> How many of you in your heart, you don't put your hand up or anything like that, but in your heart, do you want to reveal the Son of God to people? They don't need you, they don't need me, but they do need Jesus. And I think of that little donkey that we often think about at Palm Sunday. All that little donkey did was carry the Lord. It sounds a little strange to say, I just want to be a donkey for Jesus, but it's just a carrier of Christ. That people could see Jesus in you and see Jesus in me to reveal his son in you. And just like the old silversmith, he takes away the things that are, are, are not helpful. And sometimes he does it through bits of trials and disappointments, but to make us like Christ, that one glorious day can see his own face in you and me. Amen. Father, we pray for each other tonight. We pray for a move of your Holy Spirit. We pray for a revival in our hearts that will touch each one of us, Lord, that we can be more transparently like the Son of God. We pray that Jesus will be revealed in each individual person in church tonight and in this church that may become a beacon on a hill, dear Lord, to reveal Jesus, the, the, the wonderful Savior of mankind. We pray in thy mighty name for each one, that each one of us will be great shining lights for the Lord. Amen.